You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. And our guest at this hour, a behemoth in the packaged food business. You know their brands from Oreo and Cadbury to Trident and Tang. So many more, a $73 billion market cap, some $26 billion in annual revenues. We are, of course, talking about Mondelez, and they join us now for another edition of Business Week Talks. Mondelez Chairman and CEO Dirk Vandeput joining us now on the phone from Miami. Uh, Dirk, so nice to have you here with us and our Bloomberg TV and radio audiences. I am curious, you know, how things have changed. Here we are 17 weeks into this shutdown. What have you seen in terms of consumption changes? What have been sustained? Which have not been? Tell us how things have kind of evolved for your business and also your team there at Mondelez. Well, thanks for having me, Carol and uh, Jason. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, if um, If I look at the consumer uh, first, we see a number of shifts in 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 behavior. Um, our business is largely a biscuit and chocolate business, but we also have uh, gum and candy, some powdered beverages, um, and some uh, cheese like Philadelphia. I, I would say, in general, for our categories, what we see is that there is an increase in in-home snacking, um, um, and and there's a, a the pronounced change of the consumer eating a lot more in their ho- in their homes and so less in restaurants less on the go and we see that effect on our on our business clearly so they tend to eat more biscuits they tend to eat more chocolate at home but then a, a category like uh, gum or candy which is more on the go bought in convenience stores and so on is uh, is affected and is is uh, is uh, negative versus uh, previous year. I have to say, as the you've been talking, year. can I just say, Jason and I have been nodding about yep. the chocolate. That checks I mean, out. <laughs> In-home eating, Dirk, it's happening. <laughs> Including yeah. Oreos yeah. on our end and lots of chocolate. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, the other big thing that you see is that, the, the, just like you were alluding, consumers want uh, a little bit of normalcy. They, they want to feel good, safe. Um, and, and so they, they snack more, they go a little bit more to comfort food. Um, they also go back to the brands they know and love, and, and, and you've mentioned a few that we have. So we also see that effect, that uh, our, our market share and our big brands are, are, are growing uh, quite a bit. Um, the, the other one that I, I wanted to mention about consumers is that they are being, I won't call it, driven online. Uh, I think what we will see as coming out of this is that this was really the moment that shopping uh, showed a major shift from going to the store to buying more and more online. And we see for groceries, we see a lot of first timers really starting to buy their groceries uh, online. So those were some of the big the big things we're seeing as it relates to the consumer. Right. Um, and so, um, maybe, Dirk, when, when you yeah. think about sort of how you have to respond to that, tell us about your supply chain. Have you had any interruptions there? Have you had to change anything to meet that customer demand, but also to meet, you know, any of the challenges about getting it to stores or getting it to people's homes? Yes, yes. Um, I would say at the moment things are, are better, certainly in the U.S. And in, and in Europe, they're still sometimes a little bit fragile in uh, emerging markets. But um, overall, I would say we never really had a major disruption. Sometimes a plant had to shut down for two, three days. 
because our workers couldn't get to the plant or we had to negotiate with the government that our, our, our plant could uh, continue to work in some countries. But overall, I would say we've been able to keep our supply chain going uh, largely. We've seen slowdowns um, as we needed to sometimes uh, take people out of the plant if there would be somebody that, uh, that got uh, um, uh, infected. Um, so it, it has been a challenge that is now uh, better, um, but we are worried as we see, for instance, in, in the U.S., uh, the rise of the cases as, as we see it in the different states happening. If we have a plant there, we will start to see more cases in our plants, and that could have an effect on our supply chain, obviously. So um, you went exactly where I wanted you to go, which is, you know, with these increasing cases and maybe even the potential of a second wave, do you start stockpiling some ingredients in different places and different regions? How do you anticipate it now having gone through this for a few months? Yes, we, we do uh, prepare for stockpiling ingredients because our suppliers could go and uh, could have problems too. We, uh, we start to look for temporary workers or increase our workforce to make sure that we can keep our supply chain going and our sales force uh, going. We reinforce all the measures that we have in our plants and in our offices, but we also uh, spend a lot of time with our people talking about how to behave outside of our facilities and how to make sure that, that you stay safe and healthy. Um, and, and as it relates to office workers, we are still recommending everybody to work as much from home as they possibly can. And remind us in terms of your workers, um, how that has gone in terms of holding on to workers, keeping workers. What we're seeing, you know, I think we're at this very interesting time, um, Dirk, where companies, as we head into another earnings season, are reassessing kind of what they need going forward. And of course, it depends on demand going forward, and it depends on the global economy going forward. How do you see that? Yeah, we, we are lucky in a way that uh, I would say overall our business is is uh, is doing pretty pretty much okay. The, we have more variations around the world, and so it depends a little bit where you are. Our, our U.S. business is doing very well at this stage. So we've been recruiting and adding workers to our business in the U.S. But for instance, Latin America at the moment, uh, our business is, is, uh, is suffering a little bit. And there we have to be a lot more careful and, and try to get by with the, with the minimum amount of workers that we possibly can. So it's not a uniform picture around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. for us looks, looks, looks very good at this stage. Um, we, um, we also have to work quite a lot with our office workers um, working from home gets to you after a while. It's, it's, mm-hmm. It seems great, but sitting in front of screens eight hours a day, day in, day out, and, and the blending of your personal life with your professional life uh, and potentially having small kids in the home and so on, uh, we, we have to make sure that we um, make, uh, make sure that there is also social contact, that people really disconnect, uh, that, that they do not spend uh, more time than needed in front of their screens and so on and so on. And so then the, the number of complaints of, of uh, 
mental health goes goes up a little bit. So th- there are consequences to working from home, we see. That's an area that Jason and I have talked about a lot and, and all of us here at Bloomberg in terms of the stress and the, the kind of mental health impact on everybody working at home. Do you feel pretty confident? I know you said there are geographic variations in terms of the business. Do you feel pretty confident, though, that when we kind of get on the other side of this, that you'll be able to hold on to most of your workforce? Yes, yes, we feel uh, we feel uh, pretty uh, confident about that. We go through the normal ups and downs, like mm-hmm. uh, a certain area is growing, we we have to put more people there. Another area is declining, we have to re- re- uh, reduce a little bit. But when everything is set and done, we feel that we will be uh, where we were before this crisis. We we are lucky in that way, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, Dirk, from a strategic perspective, I, I feel like a lot of companies have had to sort of throw the playbook out a, a little bit and maybe deprioritize some things that were at the top of the list, whether that's environmental goals, whether it's other you know sort of corporate strategies, because we've just been in this mode of, of triage uh, to this point. Tell us a little bit about how you've been able to sort of maintain some of those longer term goals. I know, especially on the environmental side, this was something where you guys were striving to be a leader how do you stay focused on that yeah so we have we have we are of the opinion at this stage that there is no need to change our long-term strategy um, like I said short term we're, we're doing okay so we, we don't have an enormous pressure on us that that something needs to change um, from a, a strategy perspective, the, the, the thing that does change is that there are a number of things that we need to emphasize more. So it's a shift within this, the same strategic uh, framework. What does that mean? Simplifying the business as much as we can, accelerating a number of, of uh, bigger decisions, um, accelerating sometimes investment in our brands, more focus on, on costs and probably being a little bit more careful on CapEx uh, spending and slowing it down, at least for this year and potentially for next year, Uh, looking for more efficiencies, um, and then um, giving a lot of agility to our teams, letting them run with the ball around the world, make decisions fast, don't slow things down. So we adjust within the strategy. As it relates to to ESG, we, we feel that uh, this is exactly a moment, seeing everything that has happened as it relates to COVID, but also the, the recent events we've seen uh, as it relates to racism and so on. We feel that uh, we need to stay the course more than ever. And th- this is a moment that companies need to show that they're doing the right thing. So if anything, we will probably accelerate our ESG efforts. And, and uh, um, again, since the business is doing well, we're, we're able to do that. Um, but I think even if the business would slow down, uh, we would stay that course. I think it's, it's very important. Well, and, and we do want to go back to the business, but along the lines of what you were just talking about, Dirk, is I know that you guys have wanted to close what it calls your senior level gap of women in leadership. So exactly what have you done to change that and, and what do you have to show for it so far? Well, um, I, I think it starts with putting clear targets out there. Um, you quotas? Need to make sure. Quotas yes, or targets? Yes, quotas, yeah. yeah. Well, co- well, quotas, yeah. We, we, I call it targets, but it's the same thing. It's the percentage of women that we want to have on the, in the different levels in the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, so if, if I see the different levels going from factory workers to white collars to 
junior management, middle management, and higher management, we've we've driven about a three percent uh, increase, I would say, across the board, roughly uh, more on the at the higher levels uh, of uh, increase of of women that are there in the last eighteen months. Um, as a as a company, at the moment we are about sixty two percent men and thirty eight percent women. And a year ago, we were probably around thirty five percent women. I would say so. That that's the change that we've driven in a year. That's not enough, but I'm happy with what we are seeing that that that's happening. So um, how we've done that? First of all, we've put the quota. Then we've made sure that there's always, as we recruit or promote, that the slate of candidates is is uh, balanced and that there is a good mix um and as we go to the outside world we we do the same thing um and and so the the quota helps what we call representation the other one which is important is is what i would call belonging or inclusion mm-hmm. or being uh, being part of the team so there we spend a lot of time uh, educating everybody in the company what that exactly means training courses discussions listening sessions to make sure that there is an ongoing dialogue um, and, and that it's something that we discuss actively in the company. And so we hope that that will lead to more belonging. The way we measure that is through engagement surveys. Mm-hmm. And also there we've clearly seen a progress in the, in the percentage of people saying, I feel that I, that I belong here and that I'm accepted for who I am. And so... Th- I would say roughly there's a lot more going on, but those are the two right. ways of measuring and the two things that we drive. Right. And so, Dirk, talk to us about this moment when it comes to social justice and, and what you're doing around that, what you're doing when it comes to diversity. I believe you have one person of color uh, on your board. Are there goals there? Are there targets there um, that have been set by the board to do that? And does that extend and how does that extend down through senior level, levels of uh, management? Um, um, yes, we, we have goals, but I would say seeing the recent events, we've started a, a complete review of what were our practices, uh, how have we been doing, how do we feel about, uh, about what's going on in the company. Next week, we have our first, uh, first review with our board, and we've announced to the company that by the end of August, we will announce clear targets and clear measures that we will be taken. So we've taken this opportunity to say, okay, uh, we've, we've made good progress, but we need to do a lot better. Um, and, and it will be focused on three big areas. First of all, on, on our colleagues. So it's about uh, the right representation. It's about those slates of hiring that I was talking about, mm-hmm. and then the development programs. As it relates to the, the culture, which is the second big act, it's about accountability and transparent KPIs on, on all types of uh, areas that we can measure. Um, it's, a, it's this commitment to inclusion and belonging and, and a constant dialogue about that. Right. And then it's also uh, about our brands. We, we have a lot of brands that are very close to the consumer. And so that probably has more to see to the outside world. But we want our, our brands be driven by a purpose and that they are really representative of our consumers. So there's a lot we can do uh, with a brand like Oreo, for instance. Well, that's such an interesting um, thing, right? Because people talk about, you know, diversity management, right? Diversity in discussions and inclusion in discussions. It's good for business. And I, I, I guess I, I think we all are still scratching our heads why 
we've been talking about this for a long time, but it feels like still corporations, global corporations are playing catch up. And I don't know what the conversations you guys are having internally about that, right? Because it's, it's about smart business too, being diverse. Yes, yes, it, it, it is certainly true if you have a diverse table with different opinions, different viewpoints, and you're really open to listen to that, that in the end you're better informed and you will make better decisions. No doubt about it. I think the issue is more that you tend to recruit or surround yourself with people that are the same as you. Yeah. It feels more comfortable and it's, an, it's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily uh, conscious that that happens. And so you, you need to make sure that uh, you're consciously making decisions to get that diverse diversity surrounding you. And I think that's what often happens in companies, that there's all the right intentions, but then when push comes to shove, it's not changing. And so you need to be more proactive. And I think setting quota or setting targets is one of the ways that you drive that change. Right. Well, and we're certainly seeing a a lot of demand come from the consumer side for a lot more transparency along those lines, Dirk. And and speaking of consumers, I mean, I do wonder in terms of what you've learned through this pandemic, you know, you talked at the top of the conversation about in-home snacking, which everyone listening, as Carol said, including us, is nodding their heads (laughs) and and understanding that. I do wonder, you know, when you talk to the folks in R&D, when you talk to the market research folks who, who work for you, how does that change maybe what you have developing? Do you speed certain things up? Do you slow certain things down now having had this unexpected laboratory into your customers? Uh, yes, yes, for sure. Um, we, 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 we see a number of things uh, happening and we need to adapt to them. To give you a little bit of a flavor, we, we had to adapt our communication. Uh, because people are sitting at home and some of the communication we have our, on our brands, it's all about getting together with your friends or being out. Uh, well, that doesn't play a role. For instance, Oreo in China, we, we started to discover that we needed to focus really our communication on how to cook with Oreo and how to use Oreos in your recipes at home. <laughs> we would normally never have done that, but oh. in this case, we, we had to. Um, it's a staple. Who thing? knew? <laughs> <laughs> Key ingredient. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that we, we are doing is, in, because everybody's very focused on simplifying their business, making sure the clients remain uh, uh, well-stocked and well-served, is that we are reducing quite a bit our SKUs. Our, our objective is to reduce Mm-hmm. SKUs meaning the different items that we sell, um, reduced by 25%. And, and that's always a discussion in a company like ours that we have too many flavors, too many sizes, and so on. And, and this is the moment to drive that, which is significantly going to simplify our business, uh, lead to better customer service, and also have a number of uh, financial benefits like less inventory, less packaging materials, and so on. Um, there's there's areas as it relates to secondary brands, smaller brands for us that suddenly have seen an influx of consumers, um, sometimes 50, 60 percent new consumers wow. that are discovering these brands. And so now it's a question of how do we keep them and what do we do to make sure that they, as the crisis hopefully is getting better, that they stay within those brands. So those are a few examples of what's going on, but it it does require a lot of agility of our teams 
and constantly adapting to to what's going on. And briefly, what, what's dur- briefly what's an example of one of those brands that that maybe you've had an unexpected uh, spike in? Uh, Nutter Butter would be one, for instance. Oh in my the, God, I love Nutter Butter. Nutter Butter, love it. Well, one yeah. thing I have to ask you though. Um, you know the world. We talk so much about wellness and fitness and the concern about the nutritional uh, you know, impact of snack foods. What are you guys doing to improve the nutritional information on your product packaging and also provide more products along that, that line? I wonder if that's a priority. It, it is a priority because our, our purpose as a company is to empower people to snack right, which means we want to let the consumer make the decision, but we need to help them to make the right choices for them. And that means, of course, uh, um, putting the right information on the pack, also educating them. So we're all in favor of clear nutritional declarations and, and simplicity so that the consumer can immediately see what's in the product. But one of the other things we're doing is that... Um, we believe that one of the, the biggest things we can do is, is help consumers make uh, the right choice as it relates to the quantity they eat. And mm. we have this program called Mindful Snacking, which means really being in the moment and understanding when you're snacking right. uh, what you're eating and, and sort of enjoy the taste and, for instance, grab things with your left hand instead of your right hand if you're right-handed <laughs> so that you know each time that I'm taking another snack here. And so we want to put uh, portion right. size information on all our packs, and we want to have um, our mindful snacking information on our packs. We also want to increase right. the number of our snacks, the percentage of our sales that are in 200 calories or less right. to 20% of our range. Dirk, and, and so we're doing all that. We have to jump in. We could talk to you for hours, but we really do appreciate the time that you've carved out for us today. So thank you so much, and we hope to uh, catch up with you again in the future. Dirk Van Put, Chairman and CEO at Mondelez International, on the phone from Miami. 